Hey everybody, welcome back to Lara Chat Live. We are episode number 33 now. Um, today we are going to be talking about uh, polite, maybe polite, uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, discussion about team structures and with regard to back-end developers, front-end developers, designers, uh, project managers, how it all comes together. Um, you separate it, you have full stack, etc. So we got uh, Eric, Matt, and TJ here today. So um, let's uh, get started, guys. TJ, this was your topic. You, you suggested this one. I'm going to put you on the hot seat and kind of let, let's get this rolling here. Let's get you to kick it off here. Yeah, so I was having, uh, like a couple days ago, I was having a pretty interesting conversation, like intense conversation with a friend of mine um, who's a front-end developer. And uh, we were just kind of getting into like team structures, uh, roles on a team, um, also kind of in the like greater, like in the scope of the greater industry. Um, she's a front-end developer and uh, a couple of her other uh, teammates um, they really specialize in like specifically HTML and CSS and, and tend to like some people do the HTML, the CSS, and a little bit of UI, a little bit of design, but there was a lot of beef around like why the industry really looks down on people who aren't in front end that are HTML, CSS, and JavaScript as far as like React or Vue or like some sort of like front end framework um, and how it's kind of weighted towards like more like everybody's looking for like this really full stack front end role. Um, I figured it'd be interesting to kind of discuss like what kind of team structures do you guys like? What kind of team structures do you work on now? Um, kind of opinions there and, and maybe kind of exploring like the different types of roles, like preferring like full stack or specialists. Um, I don't know, kind of maybe, maybe dissect some of that stuff. Well, you said they're full stack front end developer or full stack JavaScript. No, there. So there's like a a big draw in the industry for a front end developer to be categorized as like a, a skill set of HTML, CSS, and a front end JavaScript framework. Like that's what I think when people say front end, like that's what the expectation is across the industry, and I think that is a little unfair. Um, especially in this day and age that you could almost take someone who does front-end framework like on the front-end and that is almost a role in its own and being a you know someone who specializes in HTML and CSS but then also maybe specializes in accessibility and UI design patterns. Okay that makes a bit more sense. So I think um... For, for me, I like the separation a lot. And I really think it comes down to what you're building. If you're just building a website, in, in my opinion, if you're building a website and it's all contained, so, so you know, Laravel, we have our view, view uh, V-I-E-W, not Vue.js, but our, our, our view layer. Um, and it's all contained in the one single app. We're starting to see more and more apps go the API route, have a separation of the two. And that's where I think it makes a lot of sense if you're on that API-driven kind of team that you have a separation in front end and have some really strong API backend people because uh, I'm assuming at that point you're, you're considering performance, um, 
and and you, your backend people are really strong on like SQL commands, um, <clears throat> PHP optimization, Python, Ruby, whatever it is, right? Um, and then your front end people are like really specialist on the front end side. Um, there was a tweet I saw a couple months ago now, and it was something I'm paraphrasing here, but something like. Um, Whenever I see a pull request by a full stack developer, I know their weakness. Um, meaning you could be really strong on the back end, but really weak on the front end, and you're doing a pull request. Is, is that something that you really want on your in your your code output to have a strong back end and a weak front end? I feel like you should, you'd want to have strengths on both sides and put people in a place to specialize. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, for the most part. Um, you know, full stack is is kind of a a mythical thing and doesn't truly exist. Like I'd consider myself a full stack ish developer. Like I'm really proficient in the back end and, and database design. Um, I can be pretty proficient with like a front end framework like React or Vue, but it takes me a couple weeks to ramp back into that. And then you'll find like my back end, you know, programming kind of suffers a little bit when I'm doing a lot of like heavy front end, but I'm off. I can, I can manage doing like Dom and CSS, but it's definitely not pretty, but I think everyone looking for like full stack developers, I think that's kind of, kind of like a myth. I don't think it really exists. And what do you guys think? I agree. I think, I think it's, it's easy. I think when people say they're lo they're looking for a full stack developer, a lot of times they're looking for a particular either a front end or back end developer who has some knowledge of the other other fields. Um, but I, I did want to dive back into the whole front end developer and especially a lot of the specialties that you're you were talking about because you hit on a couple of ones that I I think are pretty big, uh, accessibility being one of them. But where I live, the, the, the world I live in, that's just like having that granular of a, of a developer for CSS, a developer for JavaScript. I mean, there, there's just no world, no, no solution that I've, I've ever worked in that had that sort of budget where it, it can get that kind of specialized. And I think that's what they look for a lot when, you know, they're looking for nine times out of 10, what I find people really want is they want a strong JavaScript developer who understands UI, who understands CSS, and you know that becomes their quote unquote front end person. I'm sorry, Matt, I cut you off as well. Go ahead. That's okay. I'm used to it. Uh, but I was just going to say, actually, let's let's cut Matt off and do it. No, no, sorry. You know, I've got this other idea. Uh, anyway. Um, no, I agree. I agree that I think full stack is an illusion, or, or at least a like top tier full stack, like who's somebody who's an expert in all fields. That that's that's pretty much an illusion. You're going to be predominantly strong in one field, and and the remainder are you, you understand the gist of it. You can kind of hack your way through. Like I know for a fact myself. I mean, my CSS or or SAS skills are mediocre, like at best. Um, but I've never felt the need to dive deep and, and refine what I understand about all of those aspects, right? Because to me, it's that's not getting to the, the root of the problem that I need to be able to solve. 
for a lot of the projects I work on. Now, in my experience, I have worked with teams who have distinctive HTML, CSS guys or, or, or girls. Um, and I've seen teams that have, that have been pushing for more of designers understanding basic code as well. And that's an interesting middle ground. And I'm not too sure where that's going to go into the future, because I think asking designers or, or people who are predominantly front end developers. And when I say front, end, I mean like HTML, CSS people to be able to understand design theory and UI complexities. That's a, that's a tough, you know, shoe to fit, right? I think that's really tough. Yeah, um, and I want to kind of touch on one of our um, one of the people that's listening on along in the, uh, the chat channel on on our YouTube, um, Matthew Hall. He brought up about uh, team. It depends on team size, and I, I think he's right in some degree. Um, so in his example, you know, team the 10 plus developers, it's easier to have that separation because you have more people and you can pinpoint their specialties. But it's less than five people, you tend to tend to be proficient at both or collaborate at both. I, I agree to a degree, but at the same time, um, I was on a small startup and I, how many people did we have? One, two, three, four. We had, we had three people. And one was like kind of like a UI UX type of person. So I'm not really counting him as a developer, but there were three developers. So two were focused on the back end, and one would focus on purely HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And I, I feel like it worked amazing because at the back end, I would a person I was able to specialize and focus on what I do best and just churn out back end code. My front end guy was able to just churn out front end code and there was and we were able to maintain a high level of, of consistency and quality. And I, I, I was able to make it succeed at a, a small team level. I, I don't think all teams can do that. It really depends on, I guess, budgets too. You know, some, some small startups probably have uh, a team of all juniors and maybe one intermediate person who's kind of leading the charge, but they, um, their experience trumps all. Um, but uh, I kind of want to follow along on that. And have you guys felt had uh, been able to be successful in that small team level to have a separation, or do you really think it's only big team specific? Yeah, I definitely find advantage of you know, or I've been on successful small teams where it's you know a back end developer and a front end developer, but even then. I think it's becoming harder and harder to be able to do really well, you know, the all the HTML, the CSS, worry about accessibility, UI, and the JavaScript stuff. But I guess it also depends on the product that you're building. If you're building something that's like like an SPA or something that's really JavaScript heavy. I think if you're building that kind of thing on a small team, you're going to need a backend developer. You're going to need, you know, some JavaScript specialist. And I think you're going to need somebody who can really specialize in like implementing a design and, you know, structuring maintainable CSS and maintainable DOM. I think it can be done, but it's hard. It's hard when everybody's like spread so thin and having to maybe dip into areas that they're not super strong in. Well, and I'm curious about y'all's opinion on um, just 
communication because it seems like you're starting to add. I I agree with you, TJ. Before I get too much into it, I I think it's a great. It would be a nice thing to have. You know, if money wasn't an object and and uh, you know you had the team members to throw at it. Obviously, the more the more specialized that somebody can be in a particular field, in theory, the better the product should be. Um, but I start to I start to question the whole uh, communication aspect, and and because I know even on the projects that we have, uh, when you have multiple backend developers working on something, you have a tendency to kind of section them off. Okay, you're, you're working on user profiles, you're working on billing, you're working on, and there may be a little overlap here and there, but. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it does happen, things seem to stumble a little bit. I, I see communication with the front end and back end developers being more challenging because there is such an overlap there of, okay, well, what data do you want to display? How are you giving me the, the data? Um, there's a lot back and forth. Don't you think that adding the more team members you add who have more specialties, more specialties, you're just adding to the complexity of that communication pipeline? I think that's a huge uh, potential to, to make things, like to make communication more um, complicated. I think it all comes down to having, you know, and being a little particular about your team chemistry and, and what kind of um, environment you're fostering. I think, uh, and I think also that any good developer that's, I guess this is like part of being an experienced developer too, has, should have working knowledge of the other, the other aspects that they're not in charge of. Like if you're a backend developer, I think you should have working knowledge of all the front end stuff and a little bit of the UI stuff. I think you should at the very least have working knowledge of it and, you know, Building an API while having working knowledge of how, you know, a React app is going to be built, you're going to make you make better design decisions about that API, and you're going to be able to have better communication with the rest of your team about it. But I think it could very potentially, you know, bring complications, and that's why team chemistry and like the kind of environment you're fostering is so important. Oh yeah, I definitely agree to the <clears throat> team chemistry side of things. Uh, on on my team currently, we're very large in size and we're broken apart in, in like smaller scrum teams. And um, the way we break apart our work is we have the front end specialist and we have the back end specialist, and we do planning meetings like an agile workflow. So we do the planning meetings and you know, right in the beginning of the sprint, we have our technical questions and investigation come out of that with a plan for the two-week sprint. And that's where we will have our discussion and say, okay, well, we need to build an API that return all these things. You, the front-end developer, this is what you should expect. And and I found, and, and again, the whole chemistry thing, thing is it's huge, and that's where um, you can uh, you know make or break it. Because if you don't have that chemistry to have that communication, then the communication just failed. It stops. Nothing. You don't get anything done. I've been uh, really happy with a lot of uh, the people I work with be in terms of that communication factor to be able to uh, say, hey, okay, you're going to build the back end and you're going to build the front end. You guys understand what each side expects. Great. Go to work. 
and it's been it, 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 I feel it works. Yeah, I think you were really close to touching on something that I think is, is super important about the communication aspect. It's not, I don't think it's just about coordinating like who's doing what and, and setting expectations, but I also think it's about kind of helping close that knowledge gap. So if a front-end developer is you know, struggling with some communication for me, I look at it as a learning opportunity of here, let me maybe educate you a little bit more about how like how this has to work this certain way in the back end, or um, you know, here's here's my thoughts on the API design theory. And if I'm having trouble understanding and communicating with the person in the front end, I think it's a great opportunity for them to teach me more about it. And I think that I think the communication, like leading in that direction of like co-mentorship, is is just as important as coordinating like who's doing what tasks. I'm curious about how you would probably um, deal with situations where you are struggling with that chemistry and that communication factor. You know, with developers, we all have opinions about how an API should be built or uh, the, the code standards and all those kind of things. How do you kind of balance out that, that, those difficulties, let's say? Collaboration and communication. I think if you're both you know, solid developers and you're both, you know, reasonable human beings and, and you both have, you know, different opinions, I think you can have those discussions and find somewhere to meet in the middle that is going to be good for everybody and, and kind of, you know, work itself out in the end. I think, um, I think ultimately we're all making this up as we go along. There's no, I don't really feel like there's a right way to do anything. So it's all about, you know, collaboration and communication and kind of, you know, teaching each other and seeing where things go. Now, to be fair, everything I do is the right way. We're all in agreement. No, you know, uh, fine, whatever. <laughs> Fake it until you make it. That's, that's the thing. It's funny. I, I'm sitting here reading the Slack channel and I'm watching the comments on uh, the YouTube uh, stream as well. And I, I'm coming to the realization, everybody's kind of pointing out the the difficulty of, of really considering yourself uh, a full stack developer. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, you know, if you have a working knowledge of everything, can you consider yourself a full stack developer? Some some comments have been brought up and, and I think I think one of the real kind of <laughs> issues are, are uh, these agencies and these job these job uh, placement ads who throw out throw up that word full stack again looking for that miracle developer to respond to it um, but the, the realization I'm coming to is when, when you get to a certain level in a profession any profession in our, in our sense coding everything becomes so specialized and where to a to a to an organization that isn't so dependent on maybe their their digital property being the driving force behind the company, really any of us could probably walk in and be and be considered a full stack developer. Even you know somebody like myself who I I consider my front end development skills to be you know very limited and. But I know that because I'm so deep into the industry and I'm so passionate about the coding that I know the work that front-end people put into their 
uh, their field. I know all the nuances that they're looking at, that, that they're, they're working through. Uh, I know all the different JavaScript uh, frameworks that people have to deal with. So I, I know that as the professional that I am going in, like, I would never consider myself a, a, even close to being a, a full-stack developer or a front-end developer on any level. But when you, when you start to talk to these companies that don't have these digital properties that are, dry, that are driving force behind their organization, I might be that full-stack developer because they don't realize what, what it is they're asking for. I don't know where I was going with that. I just, just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> because you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like when, you get, when you get to a certain level of, of professionalism, it's like everything because, I mean, even I, I'm getting that way even within the framework. It's like, okay, no, there are API people and then there, there are, you know, just your regular backend developers. You know, it's like everything starts to, starts to fall into these containers where you find these strengths that developers have in these very particular areas, you start to categorize them and you're, you're thinking, okay, well now, you know, th these are the categories, th these are the sorts of people I need and they can't, there's no way they can all be the same person. Interesting. So as you grow in a company, um, am I getting the impression that you would categorize people as, hey, so-and-so is a, he's my backend guy. I'm going to go to him for everything back end. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have I have people within the organization that I'm like, okay, if there's an issue with SQL, this this is the person we're going to because this is the SQL person right here. They're the ones that, that have that specialty. And where they may never ha have a project where that's all they do, it, it is definitely, you, you definitely start, and it's a good thing. I don't know. I feel like it's a good thing to have too. It's just you can't get dependent on it. You can't. You can't feel like okay. Well, if this person leaves, well, now I'm out a SQL person because the reality of it is, they all know. You know, we all know SQL. You know, we just this one individual just might have an, a little extra talent at it than than other people as far as identifying bugs, uh, understanding best practices understanding implementation that's what we're talking about it's just like you know it's all code right they're, they're all ones and zeros it's just some of us have a knack for understanding implementation and standards for particular uh niches of that coding i, I mean it's that's how i see it so yeah so um do you think it can you could start specializing too early in your career path? Absolutely. Yeah, I totally think you can. I do you do you guys not agree with that? I totally agree. I, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I completely and I'm I and I mean uh I, I don't know how you identify it. Like like if you're getting into development, I don't know how you would identify which which industry, which field you should be specializing in, or if you just you just start learning it all and see what you start to gravitate towards. I, I don't have that that formula. I mean, for me, and this is this is how I explain it to anybody that I mentor or ask for advice or like anything I throw out to like newer developers is is I've got to where I'm at by just following the things that I'm I'm passionate about, and and that's what this whole development 
path career thing is it's all about passion for me. So I started as a front end developer. And as I started learning, I was, you know, really passionate about that. I was really into it. I was consuming as much information as I could. And I started learning more about backend development. And that really, I, I don't know, that that captivated my interest in, in I just started devoting all of my time and eventually I went to the owner of the company and I'm just like, I want to transition out of front end, you know, and I want to be the back end developer here. And we ended up working out the transition, but it's, it's been all about following those passions. And I think it's really hard to follow those passions if you don't know what's out there. And I think it's okay to be really passionate about a particular aspect and pursue that with everything you've got and then change later on when you've got, something else that interests you it's it's okay to follow that stuff around but i think it's really hard to start off and go i'm going to be a front-end developer and i think that's why you see it later on in people's careers is they find they find something they're really passionate about they've seen a lot of stuff and they're like this is what i'm really passionate about this is what i'm good at i'm going to specialize in this that's a good point when i uh when i started i don't know how many years ago i uh i was um doing the design, like I was learning Photoshop, I had books on Photoshop on how to do all this design stuff. And then um, I found Flash and Flash, uh, what the action script, it got me into more of the backend kind of coding. And then I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Um, thank goodness I didn't stick with Flash and you know started learning some of the other uh, technology, but that, that's kind of the transition of how I found my passion. And I, I think you're right that it should be okay to change your passion. Um, I mean, if I didn't, then I would probably be a designer or probably a really crappy designer because I can't even work in Photoshop anymore. I don't even know how yeah. it works. Don't worry. And eventually, Sean, you'll find it. You'll, you'll become a good developer at some level somewhere for some person. You just keep going at it. Yeah, there's a company out there for me, right? I, I just know it. And, you so, know, not to sound too dorky, and I, I've said this in the past, and I realize how, how dorky it is, but to me, de coding development is the closest I will ever become, ever get to becoming any sort of artist. And, and I see coding, I see it as an art form. I, I think that's one of the things that drew me to Laravel is is looking at the code looking looking how the code was written it was it was so eloquently written that to use the fact that they were using eloquent as their database but it, you know just just the way the code was written I, I could it was so readable and and i have such a passion for that and uh i i and i equate that to being an artist because i imagine all artists kind of go through the same thing whether you're you're a musician a painter Whatever style, whatever instrument you start with, you know, there's a good chance that's not going to be the style or instrument you're playing 10, 20 years down the road. You're going to find that niche. You're going to find that specialty. You're going to, you know, you're going to change how you how you do things. And you know, I I really do feel that developers kind of fall into that same category as artists, where it's it's such a field of just passion of of people just wanting to be better at it, and and having this self motivation to kind of continue down this road that you kind of fall through that there's th that same life cycle of just finding finding yourself and and learning what you know what works best for you. Yeah, I have this. Uh 
personal motto, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I always try and follow that. If I'm at a company where I feel like it's work, uh, I'll find a new one. I'll find something else to do. Um, I'll, I'll take a second and like totally agree with you there, Eric. Like this is absolutely how I express myself. Like this is my, like, um, you know, you're, you're creating something just as any other artist would like, um, you know, my wife and I and, and my son will have, you know, like family creative time and she'll sit down with some like, uh, you know, like a canvas and paint and my son will grab his crayons and start coloring and I'll sit down and like tinker on a UI or I'll, you know, go into like refactoring some really nasty piece of code. And it's just, you know, it's serene for me. I really, I really enjoy like taking like some, some nasty code and, and building it or having a really hard problem like some domain problem and and figuring it out or getting tests to pass after upgrading a package. Like there's something so satisfying about that for me. Yeah. I think Mike uh, just called it out in the Slack channel. It's, it's such a satisfying feeling to have absolutely nothing, just a a blank canvas. And, you know, within, you know, a couple of uh, hours have an application that you just kind of, you know, you gave birth to it's it, it. It didn't exist 30 minutes ago, 60 minutes ago. Now it does, and that was all because of your creativity, your thoughts, and your skill set. Yeah, yeah. When when uh, the thing my wife said is, uh, she seemed to notice that I I was cranky if I didn't code, so like I was on vacation or the weekend. If I didn't get an opportunity to do a little code, I I would get antsy and and you know cranky and. Um, there's that saying, uh, hangry when you're hungry and angry. There's this kangry. I don't know. I, yeah. I run into the same thing. My wife and I will go on vacation and she's like, will you just, will you just open your laptop already? Like <laughs> write a little code. You're getting ornery. It's been four days. Yeah. The wife, my, mine also kind of along that same lines knows when I'm in a flow. Like she knows when I'm, you know, really coding, really, she'll, she'll walk in here and she'll realize, she'll walk in and understand that I'm, I, I'm not acknowledging her because, you know, I'm, I'm a rude person or, or, or I'm ignoring her. I'm not acknowledging her because I'm in, I'm in that zone. I'm doing my thing. And she's very respectful of that. And she's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come out hours late because when, when you get in those zones, like time just is irrelevant at that point. Hours just fly by. I'll miss dinner or, or whatever, and I'll walk out there. She goes, "Good night." I'm like, "Oh yeah, good night." <laughs> so I, I want to kind of touch on one thing. When Matt was talking earlier, it made me um, made me remember a scenario. Really uncomfortable. Uh, when you were talking earlier, it made you really uncomfortable. Me. <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, back on track. The so, damn it, TJ. Um, what what I, what I wanted wanted to kind of cover with you know I'm doing a lot of hiring at our, our company and um, we see people come in you know with saying I'm a senior developer and. Uh, you look at their job history and then you interview them and you're like, I don't think you're a senior developer. So I have to turn you down because your salary is not what I'm willing to pay for your expertise. It's kind of, 
I guess it gets away. It's sort of related to our topic, but you know, uh, anyways, I wanted to kind of touch on this with you guys. And, um, and I, I was looking at the resumes and I kind of looked at it and said, okay, well, a lot of these companies are smaller companies. And um, I, I'm having the assumption that, you know, at a smaller company, it's easier to get that senior level, uh, that the, the level and the pay. And you say, well, I'm one of three people here. I'm, I'm the lead architect of this small company, so therefore I am a lead developer. And then when you go to a, a larger organization where uh, there's a higher uh, expectation on lead developers, they don't make the cut. And you know they may be great people, we want to hire them, but we just can't because their skill set is out of line with their salary expectations or their title expectations. You guys have, um, have had that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the time. And I think you've nailed it. The the and I'm a perfect example of that. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a CTO. Yeah, I'm a CTO because I'm one of the owners of the company. I could never walk into a Fortune 500 company and say, hey, I'm a CTO, give me a CTO position, CTO salary. It would never happen, and I realize that. I'm a CTO in my little world, and that's it. And, and titles are, are, are such bullshit anyways. I'm sorry. I know we go for PG on this one, but I, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of titles. But you, you nailed it, right? A, a, a lead developer at a small company or, or, or a small organization isn't a lead developer at a big organization, but there's no way for them to know that. There's no, there's no certification process that people go through for each level of developer that they are. It's just kind of a general rule of thumb of, hey, I've been in the industry this long, I have these people reporting to me, I'm a lead developer. Um, but yeah, you do have to have that harsh reality. And I, I think that's where, when you're, when you're the interviewer, having a clear layout of job, job titles, their expectations and their responsibilities beforehand, when, when you're going through that interview process and say, okay, so you really feel like you meet these qualifications. You've handled a team of six developers underneath you. You've, You've met these sort of timelines. You, you've done all this. You, you, so you, you think you, you're a lead developer because you can, you've done all this in the past. Well, no, I haven't actually done that in the past. I've never worked with that big of a team. And you start to maybe help with that expectation of, okay, well, you might not be a lead developer for us. The hard part is it's the money. You know, people are going for that higher, you know, pay and you can't fault them for that. I mean, you know, it's like free agency in, in sports. Of course, you're going to you're going to try to get as much money as, as you possibly can. I don't I don't know the best way to tackle that, with with the exception of just making sure you have a good kind of outline of the responsibilities of the job and kind of walking them through it. But yeah, you're right. It, it is a problem. So I, Matt I, I think I think actually, and I think the problem extends to people we've had this in the past as well. People coming to us and saying, oh, yeah, I'm a front-end developer. Oh, you are? Yeah, yeah, no, I do front-end development all the time. Okay, what what JavaScript, uh, you know, frameworks do you work in? Oh, I, I don't really have any of those. Okay, well, you know, what CSS, you know, practices do you do? Well, I don't really have a practice, you know. It's just like, okay, well, then don't call yourself a front-end developer. Because <laughs> if you don't know these, you know, basic concepts, then, then you're not that. You know, on that point, uh, sorry to cut TG off. I know you wanted to say something there, but really quick. Um, 
we've had people who say, oh, yeah, we, we follow best practice, or I'm interested, personally, I follow best practices, or I do this, or I do that. And we ask them, so how did you do that at your last company? Said, oh, well, the company didn't really see it as very important, so we didn't do it. That that also seemed to happen a lot, where these people kind of understand, well, PSR, too, is a concept for no-code standards, but we don't follow it. And then on the resume, yeah, you know, this is the whole. Or they have, or they have another coding standard. Yeah, you know, we have, we have a, you know, internal coding standard we use. Yeah, yeah, we see that as well. I think there's a difference between misrepresenting yourself and job titles. Like I, I don't know. That kind of seems like that. That's like where the conversation's headed a little bit. Is like people who are just like outright like misrepresenting themselves or yeah <laughs> yeah who are like they're, they're either like misrepresenting themselves or they're like I, I i really would love to see a lot of like titles just out of the equation like it's i i totally agree with you eric it's it's shit like i'm looking right now like we're hiring um and i've been really struggling with putting together the job description because I I I want to call it a senior developer position, but I I don't, I don't want all the stigma that's attached to that. Like, but I don't want to like shortchange them in their career by not giving them that title because it's a construct that matters in the industry for some reason. But I'm looking for an experienced developer, and I I don't care what title you held before. Like, do you meet the criteria in which I'm I'm looking for someone to have experience in? Okay, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a couple things. So for myself, um, I'm actually very specific. Hang on, Matt. The whole point of this chat is for you to say things. Come on. <laughs> uh, cut me off again, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, totally derails your thought process. Um, on my uh, so on LinkedIn, I've always. Uh, just put on the title of software developer, like software developer, software developer, software developer. Cause in the end, I'm going to be toying with backend, front end, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's going to be something I'm working on something that is fundamentally software development. And when it comes to, but a big problem that I've seen, at least in, in my experience of doing hiring and stuff like that is maybe the biggest problem is the fundamental resume itself. And, and how that's presented and how people are, are informed as to how they should, you know, put the data in there when you're reviewing it. I mean, if you've never worked with, let's just put out random examples. Let's say you've never worked with PSR and, and you don't really know them, but you've read a bit about it. You're interested in it. I mean, why can't there be a section on like what I'm researching and, and why is that not considered part of a standard developer's resume on what I'm researching, what I'm exploring outside of my job responsibilities in order to push myself towards, you know, the job that I'm, I'm applying for. Cause I want to go further than where I am. Cause realistically, most people aren't applying for the same job in a different company. They're applying for a step up. So it becomes harder to me. It becomes harder to gauge that like, well, you may have not worked with this stuff, but I understand you want to, you want to work with this stuff, right? I get what you're trying to do. I, 
I'm curious about how much you would put in there, because if you think about our day, I mean, we've got Twitter, and there's so many Laravel PP people tweeting out their latest code snippet or their latest Medium article, or and then the, the chat where everybody's talking about all the things that they're doing and researching. like uh, And then RSS feed, there's hundreds of articles that come in every day. And how, how do you say... I'm researching PSR2 when you might just read through the PSR2 standards in one day. How, how does, how, like what, what goes on that list? There, there's literally hundreds of things that come across our, our brain every single day, I think. I think maybe a better title for that section of the resume would be like, not necessarily research, but like kind of getting back to something I was talking about earlier is like, here's the other things I'm passionate about. Like here's, here's other other areas of, of code and development that I'm passionate about. And I think it's hard to like put, I think you, you're right. Putting PSR two in there is kind of difficult. I think you're either doing it or you're not, but I think like um, maybe I'm a backend developer and I'm exploring DevOps. Like I'm, you know, passionate about learning more about DevOps, um, you know, or, or I'm, uh, you know, passionate about learning more about Vue.js or I'm like working on like front-end frameworks in JavaScript. I think, I think that's a little bit, I don't know, I think that's maybe a little bit better than like a research section. But if I see that in your resume, you're definitely going to the top. Like that shows to me that you're interested in learning, you're interested in exploring, you're interested in progressing. And that I think goes a long way to, to show about your character. And I'm right with you there too, Matt. Like I call myself a web developer who specializes in Laravel view and APIs. Yeah, I, I, I gotta be honest with you. It's been a while since I've done a resume, <laughs> but I, I look at a lot of them and I, I think that's a great idea. And, and I, I feel like if you're listening to the show, strongly encourage you to consider that like like i said maybe it's not a research or an interest uh category but th think of a way of, of getting that on a resume and bring bringing some attention to it when having a conversation with a, a potential uh, employer because there's so much in our industry there's so many aspects of it it's such a deep and in um area of just to, there's there's no way to capture all that on a piece of paper and, and it's even more difficult it's difficult enough just capturing the things you consider yourself good at but capturing the things that you've you're exploring you're looking into that that has your has your interest is I, I know as somebody hired who does a lot of hiring in this industry that would bring I would pay a lot of attention to that. I, w I would look at that resume. That, that would be interesting to me. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, you know, I think for what? me, I would look at that and I'd, I'd go, okay, I, great. I have some topics that I can, I can talk about with this person. And, um, you know, are they BSing me? And then I can, I can ask them those questions because it's right there. I am researching blah, blah, blah. All right, well, let's talk about it. Tell me about it. Teach me. And I think, you know, when we, what TJ would talk about earlier, chemistry. And I think teaching and being able to be taught is a huge thing that generates t trust and, and chemistry. So if, if the person in an interview can you know, teach me something new, I kind of want to work with that person because um, they taught me something and I didn't feel like an idiot. That, that's great. 
I think if we're going to define a resume as, at least how I view it, if you define it as it's a list of facts, right? That's all it really is. It's just a list of facts. So when I'm looking at candidates, I will look at their list of facts and that's just a pre-qualifier. Like, do you meet or are you close to meeting my expectations that I put forth in, um, you know, in the job description? And, you know, if it does, I'll go poke around on you a little bit. I'll go take a look at your Twitter. Maybe I'll go maybe take a look at LinkedIn or maybe I'll go look at your GitHub and I'll do a little bit more research and go, all right, you know, let's, let's, let's talk. Let's, you know, have an interview. Let's maybe see some code. And I place almost all of the weight on whether you're going to like get hired or, or all of the weight is really placed in the discussions that we have and the chemistry that we have and how I think the chemistry with the rest of the team is going to be the inner, like the resume is just a pre-qualifier because especially in development, there's no way you can capture the skill set of a developer or, you know, the passions of a developer out of, you know, a piece of paper. There's, there's absolutely no way that you can capture that there. Yeah, I agree. There was a time where, uh, a person could hide behind a resume. Somebody could write up a good resume and hide behind it and submit it. But t- in today's world, with social media, the thing that, you know, what it is today, with things like GitHub, where there's so much out there, it does fall more onto the person doing the interview to actually do some research. Like when you find people who interest you, people you, you want to uh, talk to about a position, for you to actually do some research, look at their LinkedIn, look at their GitHub account, look at their social media uh, streams, and get a better understanding of the type of person they are, the type of developer they are. Um, yeah, I, I, I put way more weight behind that than I do a resume. I don't know. I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I don't know if anybody we've hired at Diego Dev has ever presented a resume to us everybody i think who's come to us has been word of mouth or have come to us and say hey you know i'm interested in working with you and and we've we've done our research at, as far as looking at the meetups they go to the the social circles they hang out with what they post and on blogs um i don't know what do you guys think is a resume kind of a, a dying breed of documentation or does it is it time to do some sort of revamp of a resume? I think for me, um, because like like you said, you do a lot of the hiring in your company. I, it's the same for me, and I, I like having a resume, but that doesn't mean that I read every single line. I'll go through and think. I'll look at it and think, oh, has this work person worked at any companies um, that I know people of? what work there or or do I know anybody that knows this person and then I'm all about okay hey what do you know about so and so and I'll kind of get the I get the background knowledge or whatever that I, I can't get on a resume um, and then uh, I'll also kind of read a little bit about their description you know see what it is what are some points that we what are some talking points that we could do in a phone call um, I, I kind of like it but I see your point that um, you know, it isn't always needed, I don't think. I think it depends how you stumble across the person too. Like if you come recommended to me from somebody else, then we're just going to jump straight into like the conversation and some, maybe some pair sessions or, you know, I, 
I won't probably even ask for your resume until like the end. Like I, I won't even, like I'll just jump straight into a discussion. Um, right now I don't have a lot of people recommending to me right now. I don't have anybody coming off of a referral. So I'm going out and, you know, looking for people. And, and that's when you get into like, you fall into that resume pre-qualification thing. All right. So since we're having this conversation, our conversation has sort of shifted to, to hiring practices. I'm curious about everybody's here, their, their feelings of placement agencies. Do you, do we see value in placement agencies or, cause for me personally, I, I've, I've always had an issue with, I, I've been on both sides of a placement agency where somebody has come to me trying to uh, present to me somebody to hire from a placement agency. And I've also been part of a placement agency that's been looking for a job. Um, and I, I've never, I've never had a good feeling about placement agencies because even when I was the, the person within the place, I, I never worked for a placement agency. I'm just saying uh, a placement agency found a position for me. Even in that scenario, they didn't know anything about me. They didn't know who I was. We didn't have an established relationship. I had answered uh, uh, an ad for a job placement and uh, they, it was their ad. I thought it was a company. It was this placement agency and they took my information. You know, they went and started marketing me around to try to find me a position. What is, do you guys have any general feelings about these? Because I've never had a lot of luck with them and I, I kind of get an icky feeling when they reach out to me with, you know, talent, good talent. Um, I recently got contacted by one that was just talking about how they wanted to mutually share, you know, information to benefit both of us and everything else. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm okay. Because in my, in my entire career as a developer, the amount of times I've been approached by that sort of organization asking if I'm interested in a, in a Java developer job when my total experience with Java consists of like one book on like, here's some intro to Java and I'm like, screw this. And I just threw it to the wayside, like threw it by the wayside. And I'm like, but yet they consistently message me because of you know whatever profiles they see they just see developer well he clearly knows java so let's yeah, you, bombard you, this you, guy you've come up in some search results i have the same thing yeah. for, for one year for for literally like uh 12 months i was the administrator of a cold fusion environment to this day 15 years later i get job you know job postings of hey i hear you have cold fusion development experience we're looking for i'm like no i i don't I don't even know where you, where that's coming up anymore. I don't have it on any of my LinkedIn's or anything. Where are you finding this? To, to go over your original question about placement agencies, we um, we are using two right now at our company, and um, one of them I really like because uh, and and I the way I found them is they approached me about a job, and I was, I really liked their the way they did it. They they built a relationship. They really understood what I was looking for. They listened to um, what I was thinking about and saying. And I felt that connection. Um, where other recruiters, I've, or placement agency recruiters, whatever word you use, um, they, 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 they look at those keywords, cold fusion, uh, ASP.net, VB6, and they say, 
boom, I have a match and I'm going to make, I'm going to make a connection. Um, so I think, I, I think the, the recruiters that are just doing the cold matching are doing a disservice, but the recruiters who make that relationship and that connection to that developer, I think that is the way to go. But again, it all depends on the kind of developer you are. If you recognize that recruiters and people outside of just the development team, people that are, you know, CTO, management, VP of whatever, making those kind of connections are, uh, those kind of connections are like valuable. But some people don't even care about those kind of connections and they just, that they're all about the code. And that, that's totally fine. Um, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, I suppose, but uh, I, I really think if a placement agency or recruiter makes that connection, that's incredibly valuable for uh, the the candidate and the interviewees. Yeah, and I, I guess I have seen organizations where uh, a placement agency has basically acted as their HR department. And yeah, like you said, I, there, there there are those situations where that sort of relationship gets established and, and um, so yeah, maybe, maybe I just, I, I've never had a lot of success with them either as, as somebody looking for work or someone trying to find somebody um, it's, it's never really worked out, but again, maybe it's because I haven't, I haven't established that relationship with a particular agency. There's the other two guys not, not you've never worked with him. Uh, Everybody's talking in Slack now. Yeah, we're, we're also horsing like... around in Slack. I, I, <laughs> I, I decided to light a little fire about type-ins. Um, no, I uh, I think, uh, and, and not working with Matt Lance. Um, <laughs> shenanigans. Um, I think there's a reason why I don't have a LinkedIn and it's it's recruiters irrelevantly reaching out about everything all the time. Um, we just recently worked with a recruiting agency as we're looking to hire. Um, they did a really a really good job of of trying to understand our needs. They came in and did a couple interviews with us in the office, and um, I think they did a great job of like establishing that relationship. Um, it just so happens that the pool for like experienced Laravel-esque PHP developers. I'm like, look, we're a Laravel shop. Like, that's what we do. Um, I pretty much follow the Laravel core pretty tightly. Um, so finding somebody who's got, like, experience in that area or is, like, passionate in that area, it's really slim pickings around here. So we decided to open up the availability to do remote. So I ended up dropping dropping the company, um, the recruiting firm. They just, they were having trouble finding local candidates, which I already knew, which is, which is why we hired them in the first place. Um, I, I'm against them being pushy, but I, I think there's a right place for it, depending on what, depending on what you're looking for. Like for me, I'd be look. I I don't know if I'd ever work with a recruiter because I'm looking for a job that, um, you know, the people who are making hiring decisions in the technical department also value development community and I'm probably going to meet them through a local meetup or online. We're going to end up meshing somewhere and, and, and that's probably how the job opportunity is going to come. Um, 
and I think if that's what you're looking for, I, recruiting firms probably aren't going to work for you on, on either end of the table. But if you're, you know, if you're struggling to make those connections or, or you're looking, uh, God, I hate that I'm going to drop this. If you're looking for like some big enterprise thing, I, I, I think for the most part, if you go enterprise, there's, I don't think it's super interactive with the community. Um, and, and you're not going to find that kind of job. And the only way you're going to find that is through like a recruiter or just having to stumble upon somebody in the ladder. Um, I don't know. That's my ramble about it. Yeah. I think those are good points though, TJ. I, th- I think you nailed it. Uh, you know, big companies will typically not get involved. You know, they don't hit the ground. They, they don't hit the ground of community and, and finding out. So yeah, I, th- I think you did. Uh, I think that's a a, a, gr- a very important uh, distinction to make. It depends on what you're looking for in your professional path. Sean, I know you want to wrap things up. Yeah, I guess we might as well. Uh, coming up at the end here, and you know, I think we all contributed very well, except for Matt Lance. He did his usual sitting there. Uh, we we pay, we pay Matt by the word, so you know it, the less he talks, the the more profit we we get out of it. Exactly, we have deals with uh, Eric and TJ, but I was able to negotiate things. But Matt was smart; he was like a hundred dollars a word, and I'm like, okay, Matt, you only get like three words a show, three words. All right, well. That's it for today's show. We kind of uh, got off tangent of our original topic about, you know, teams and, and went into a hiring thing. That's cool. We, uh, as, as per usual, we don't, um, we don't practice beforehand. We don't take notes. We're very much off the cuff. Uh, we really should think about starting to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're professional here. Haven't I been saying that for months? Matt, no more talking, please. There's another 800 bucks out there. Crap. Oh, boy. All right. Well, um, thank you to everybody who participated on the Slack and the YouTube channel. I, oh, my God. There was a, um, an amazing conversation. It was really hard to follow along and chat here, but I love that we're getting some, um, some activity there. So uh, the next show, uh, just you know, we're going to have a really special guest uh, we're, we're working towards. Uh, we're probably going to go back to the API topic. Um, we we really want to talk about the dumb API mistakes that people make, and I, I think it'll be kind of um, it could it could be a very inflammatory show. We could be kicked off the air. It's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm looking forward to it. So, with that being said, um, let's wrap it up here. Thanks, Eric, Matt, and TJ for coming on and. We will see you guys all in two weeks and um, on the Lara Chat Slack channel anytime, any day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, did you forget Matt? We're still alive. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Matt. <laughs> Bye, Matt. <laughs> Bye, guys. We're still alive.